you've seen the headlines. Bonds are making a comeback. But if you've ever tried to invest in bonds, you know what a clunky, complicated, broken experience it can be. That's why at Public, they took fixed income and fixed it. Now you can find, evaluate, and buy thousands of bonds with an investing experience designed this century. Add fixed income to your portfolio with corporate, treasury, and municipal bonds. Go to public.com forward slash bonds podcast to get started. This podcast is sponsored by Public. Full disclosures can be found at public.com forward slash bonds. Chat with Traders is sponsored by Trade the Pool. Are concerns about limited buying power, insufficient capital, or fear of losing your own money preventing you from advancing your trading capabilities? Trade the Pool is an online stock trading prop firm that offers funding for stock traders. Demonstrate your skills, trade their capital, and keep your profits. You can engage in intraday trading and now swing trading on Trade the Pool with any U.S. stock or ETF. The procedure is straightforward. Pay an evaluation fee, successfully complete the evaluation, and get funded. Visit tradethepool.com forward slash chat to learn more. The biggest secret of the best traders in the world is that they're just like everyone else. However, they've worked hard to learn the markets and discover what works and what doesn't. But how can you hear about these journeys and get in on the strategies and tactics they use? You can do it by listening to Chat with Traders. Here's your host, Aaron Fifield. Hey there, what's up? Thanks for listening in to episode 51. I have a brilliant guest on the show this week who I can almost guarantee you've never heard of. He generally likes to fly under the radar, but thankfully for us, he did agree to an interview. His name is Bryce Edwards. Bryce is an Australian equities trader. He takes a discretionary approach and makes his money from intraday price movements and goes home flat at the end of each day. During the interview, we walk through the 10 plus years in the build-up to Bryce becoming a profitable trader. He's got a really interesting story and you may even discover it's quite relatable to your own scenario. We also talk about how the order book plays a key role in his trading decisions and how he creates a stocks and play watch list using catalysts such as company news, underlying commodity prices, and broker upgrades and downgrades. Now, if you have any comments or questions for Bryce, just go to chatwithtraders.com forward slash 51, scroll to the bottom of the page, and drop a line in the comments area. He mentions at the end of the interview, he's more than happy to answer any questions you may have. So I really encourage you to take full advantage of this. All right, well, let's jump to the interview. You're listening to the Chat with Traders podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Fifield, and please welcome my guest for episode 51, Bryce Edwards. Bryce, what's up? How's it going, man? Good, Aaron. How you been? I've been all right. Now, the market's just closed. How'd you go today? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. There's been um, you know, a lot happening on the corporate front in Australia. Um, you know, big earnings downgrades and uh, and big moves in a couple of stocks. So it's been um, it's been quite a lot of action this week. It's been good. Well, that's excellent. Nice. Well, Bryce, thanks for agreeing to an interview. I know it's not something that you normally do, but you've got an interesting story, and I think that many listeners will be able to connect with what you have to say. And one of the things I really like about your story is the fact that you didn't nail trading on your very first attempt. So. I mean, you got into trading, you lost some money, you went into property, then you became a stockbroker, and now you're back into trading, and you're doing very well for yourself. So we're going to walk through all of this, but let's start right from the beginning. So tell us how you very first got started in trading. I think it was roughly 10 years ago. Yeah, probably a little bit more, actually. So, um, you know, my interest was originally sparked by my grandfather. Um, so he... You know, he was probably more of a long-term investor. Uh, I wouldn't say he was overly overly wealthy. Um, so he was actually a sailmaker. He used to make sails for yachts. And, uh, you know, I'm pretty sure he had a, a number of wealthy clients who, um, you know, he'd make sails for. And, you know, I'm sure they gave him tips and advice. And, you know, over that period, I think he did okay. This is sort of, you know, late 90s, early 2000s when, you know, it was pretty easy to do well as a long-term investor. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he gave me a, a pretty small portfolio and, you know, he'd follow stocks in the paper and, you know, tell me what he'd liked. And, yeah, I mean, I'd end up end up buying them in an online broking account. So um, I guess that was my first introduction. 
Um, that kind of went on for probably two years, and uh, and then actually went with a mate. My mate's mum somehow got uh, in touch with a guy that ran a seminar, and uh, it was an options trading seminar. So this is a couple of years later, and uh, so we plotted along to this this seminar, and it lasted for four or five days. And uh, you know that was my first introduction to charting and, and technical analysis. Um, so it was, I guess, a typical black box system. So the guy had obviously back tested it. Um, you know, all we had to do was follow his system into when, you know, one indicator crossed another and sell when such and such happens and, uh, you know, repeat and, and we'd get rich basically. Um, so that was the pitch anyway. But, um, yeah, we left the seminar on cloud nine, as you do, talking about which beach we'd be sitting on, um, you know, while we're trading and, and making millions, but it didn't exactly pan out like that. So, um, you know, to be perfectly honest, I don't think I stuck to the system, um, you know, originally I sort of just went about trading options willy-nilly, um, which was, you know, kind of a recipe for disaster. But, um, yeah, I mean, I was buying options, so buying puts and calls. Uh, I don't think I knew back then that, that you could be a seller of premium. Um, but I, I think I started with about $35,000 in my account. And, um, yeah, within six months, I sort of whittled that down to around $20,000 um, before I gave up. So, yeah, it was pretty ugly. Um, but, you know, considering how green I was, I think, uh, you know, and the fact that I was trading options, I think losing less than 50% of my capital was, you know, probably a, a pretty good result. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. So what what would you say probably led to you losing you know, not quite half of your account. Like what kind of mistakes were you doing? Well, I just had no system. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, I was so new to it that I didn't really understand methodology. Um, I thought it was a prediction game. And, uh, you know, obviously you soon find out that it's not about prediction. It's more about managing risk. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that was, um, you know, that was a pretty big um, loss for me. I think I was 20 or 21 at the time. And, um you know, I thought, oh, this is a mugs game. It's for the professionals. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna make any money from this. So I threw the towel in on the stock market, and I ended up getting interested in property. So, um, you know, I focused on that for about five years, I think. Um, so I actually ended up buying a couple of places in New Zealand. Have you? I sense a bit of a Kiwi accent there. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, I'm from New Zealand. I moved over to Australia when I was 12. Ah, there you go. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I bought a couple of places over there, and. And, uh, you know, that was, I held them for about five years and, and then the financial crisis hit and that was sort of 2008 and, uh, yeah, I mean, at, at that time, you know, I was really interested in, in what was happening on a macro level. Um, so at the time I was working as a mortgage broker, um, you know, and that kind of complemented the whole property investment thing. And, uh, yeah, so I had a, a pretty good understanding of the whole subprime crisis, um, you know, the securitization of mortgages. I think I sort of, you know, recognized that they were, you know, bundling up steaming piles of, of you know what and, and selling it on to unsuspecting investors. And uh, yeah, I mean, at, at that time, I'd actually discovered the likes of Zero Hedge and, um, you know, people like Peter Schiff and Mark Farber. And, you know, I got really interested in the whole Austrian economics crowd. Um, and, you know, that sort of led me to uh, be turned into a kind of chicken little type character. Um, you know, I, I thought the sky was falling in, basically. I thought the US dollar was going to collapse and, um, you know, I quit my mortgage broking job and sold my investment properties and, uh, you know, put all my money into an account to try uh, for a second time to be a full-time trader. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it was a really, really fascinating time to be in the markets. But, uh, again, you know, I hadn't really done the research and, uh, you know, there wasn't any method to my trading. I didn't have any discipline, um, you know, or risk management. So, you know, all I had was a, a pretty strong view that, uh, that the world was going to hell. And I thought that, you know, I could pretty much short everything and, and be long gold and, and make money. And, uh, you know, it didn't quite pan out like that. So I think, you know, after the first QE program was announced, um, you know, I had some pretty big wins in gold stocks. But, you know, because I was so bearish, I kept trying to short things like consumer discretionary stocks. And, you know, this is through that 2009 rally. Um, and I just basically tore up all the profits. So, you know, shorting really strong stocks in a bull market, um, which, you know, was a bit of a recipe for disaster. So, um, you know, shorting things like Flight Center, 
Um, what else? I think I had a go at uh, JB Hi-Fi and, you know, even in the US I tried shorting um, oh, a couple of names. I remember but I had a, took a well pretty big loss in Whirlpool, so that was um, WHR uh, on the New York Stock Exchange. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, the end result was, you know, no method, poor risk management. I was, I was gambling. Um, so that went on for, you know, I had quite a bit of money in the account, so I think it went on for almost one and a half years. And, uh, you know, if it wasn't for a certain turn of events that stopped, stopped me trading, uh, and that is my broker uh, actually collapsed and my trading account was frozen, um, if that hadn't happened, you know, I probably would have gone about blowing myself up over the course of the next couple of years anyway. Okay. Okay. So, wow, that's, I mean, there's a lot to take in there. So, let me just ask before we move on, how did you go in property? I mean, did you have, you know, quite decent success there and is that what, um, allowed you to fund your, you know, your larger size trading accounts? Yeah, well, I mean, at that time, um, you know, there was a whole lot of lot of literature out there about uh, positive cash flow property. So that's what I was trying to do, um, buy properties that generated a rental yield um, in excess of the cost to finance. Um, and so, you know, there was guys going out there and just, you know, borrowing and buying and borrowing and buying and because of the cash flow that was genera- that was being generated, then you could just keep buying stuff. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's what took me to New Zealand. I mean, I don't know whether you know a, a town by the name of Taumaranui, but I mean, you know, I bought a couple of houses over there for less than 40 grand, <laughs> you know, on a 16% yield and, um, you know, within a couple of years, you know, three years or whatever, they'd tripled. Um, so, it was just right time, right place, I think, more than anything. Yeah, no, that's that's an awesome return. Um, okay, so I'm not sure where this fits in on your timeline, but you got a job as a stockbroker. So what was this experience like for you? I mean, did you learn any anything significant in this role? Um, tell us a little bit about, you know, being a stockbroker. Yeah, yeah, sure. Well, I mean, how I actually got into it, I mean, obviously after this broker um, went under and, you know, I won't mention the name of the firm, but they're actually based on the Gold Coast, which, you know, in hindsight was probably a bit of a red flag. Um, But, I mean, the end result, I mean, I ended up losing a couple hundred thousand dollars. um, So I was devastated. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that was a pretty heavy weight on my shoulders for a number of years there. Um, but, I mean, the end result was that, you know, I hadn't had a job for probably a year and a half. Um, I, you know, I didn't really have any money aside from what I'd lost in the trading account. I didn't have an income. So, you know, I had to go back into the workforce and, um, you know, I had a passion for the market. So, so I obviously uh, thought that getting into stockbroking was a pretty good idea. So, um, you know, the first two years was, you know, really all sales, so cold calling, um, bringing on new clients and then eventually, um, you know, probably in the third year, I mean, I worked for a number of different brokers, but in the third year, I eventually had my own book of clients. Um, so some would obviously trade their own accounts and, you know, to me, they were the best kind of clients because, you know, you could kind of just sit back and, and you know, they would generate commission. Uh, but then there was others that were really looking for um, more general advice, stock advice, and I'd you know present them with trade ideas and you know obviously execute on on their behalf. Okay, so how were you actually? How did you? How were you generating those trade ideas for them? Like, were you obviously heavily involved in you know research during that period? Yeah, that's right. I mean, you know, obviously after, you know, two years, I went and got all the qualifications and, you know, by the time I had my own clients, um, you know, I'd finally got around to to doing the research on trading methodology and risk management, right? So I'd say that is where the real journey in um, in terms of the world of trading for me began. Um, so um, by the time I'd got my own clients, I'd also – you know, I'd read a whole heap of books. Um, I joined a trader's chat room uh, that I think I mentioned to you, you know, when we spoke last time. That's called CFD Trader's Edge. Um, so that was run by, or still is run by a trader by the name of Alan McGrath, who's, um, you know, now a, a pretty good friend of mine. Um, and Alan became, I guess, somewhat of a mentor um, to me. So, you know, I'm in the chat room, you know, I'm obviously doing my work all day, but um, you know, I was sponging off him and, and really watching him get in and out of stocks intraday um, while I was at work, you know, speaking to clients on the phone. I'm just watch, watching the screens and watching what he was doing. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, that's how I basically started to pick things up and, you know, in the beginning, I guess, you know, my results with clients were pretty mixed. Um, you know, some did okay, others not so well. And, um, you know, eventually after watching the screens all day and particularly, you know, watching the order book, um, or, you know, I call it the order book, they call it level two in America. Um, I really recognized that, you know, perhaps there was an edge, um, to be exploited in trading the order book on a short-term basis. Um, you know, that's kind of when I had a bit of an aha moment. And, um, yeah, I had a handful of clients that were, you know, open to more short-term trading. And, uh, and that's where I began to have a little bit more success. Um, so, you know, I did that for a couple of months before I realized that, you know, the economics of, of short-term trading um, with a full-service broker, uh, it just doesn't work. You know, I mean, to ensure that I wasn't churning um, commission out of my clients. I had to drop them to a rate that was so low that, uh, you know, I wasn't really making any money. And, you know, the boss wasn't happy, of course, but, um, you know, the upside was that I was I was learning a lot and, and I was, you know, obviously getting paid to learn. So, um, yeah, it was pretty good to pick things up like that. So, Cool, cool. Okay, Bryce, well, let's now drill down into more about the ins and outs of your trading. So, how would you describe the approach you now trade? I mean, you mentioned the order book um, and, of course, got a bunch of questions around that to come. Um, but just if you could give us an overview of your approach and maybe also if you could share with us how this has changed over the past few years because I believe you were more of a scalper to start out with when you first um, went from being a broker to trading full-time. Yeah, yeah, correct. So, um, you know, I guess a general classification, I'd probably say that I'm a, a discretionary intraday stock trader. Um, so I try and go home as close to flat as possible every day. Um, you know, the obvious reason is is to minimise overnight risk. But I think um, for me, um, more importantly, is that you know I can be a hundred percent focused on um, on news plays the next morning, and and that way I'm on the offensive. And I found that you know initially when I was trying to find my own style, any time that I came in, I had a bunch of stocks to deal with. You know, I'd always have to worry about putting out fires in the morning. Um, rather than being on the offensive. So, yeah, I try to go home as, as flat as possible. Um, you know, company news, I'd say, is, is my bread and butter. Um, so that's something that I picked up again from from Alan McGrath in his chat room. And, uh, you know, I think I mentioned to you last time that uh, I'm also a big fan of SMB Capital. So um, Mike Bellafure's book uh, called The Playbook, that you know, really helped me structure my approach, um, you know, to trading. I mean, the importance of process, uh, of repetition, um, and also, you know, the big the big takeaway for me is this concept of, of stocks in play. Um, so that was really powerful. I think that came out um, maybe six months before I finished up broking and it was kind of that book that I thought, hey, you know, um, the stories of all these young guys that um, were having a good go at and I thought that, you know, that's something that I'd really like to do. So, yeah, I mean the stocks in play, um, you know, it's it's um, probably the backbone of what I do every morning. So every morning uh, I'm building a list um, where I'm basically looking to trade stocks that have a catalyst. Um, you know, so my goal is to be in the right stocks every day, um, that is the stocks that move the most. And I find that, um, you know, your risk reward is far better when there's a catalyst to drive um, the move in the stock, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, I'm really actually, I'm quite keen to read that book also uh, by Mike Balafure. And Mike has been on the podcast uh, in the past for uh, those listening. Uh, If you want to check that out, that's episode 22. Um, Really awesome to have him on. So, Bryce... What uh, markets are you most focused on? Is it just Australian equities or do you, um, you know, go outside of those as well? Yeah, no, 100% um, Australian equities. I mean, uh, for a while there I considered, um, you know, potentially moving across to the US purely for liquidity reasons. You know, I see these guys that are trading these NASDAQ stocks and, you know, making these huge, um, you know, intraday profits. But I think, you know, I came to the realisation that it was, you know, more my self-limiting beliefs than it was, you know, that the, the Australian market didn't offer the opportunity, you know. So, um, yeah, and that that's, 
you know, really where I had to tweak, um, you know, try and tweak my strategy and, um, you know, and focus more on these these stocks in play. So, you know, and, and when I say stocks in play, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm obviously looking for a catalyst and in particular company news. So, you know, when a company wins a new contract or they announce an earnings upgrade, um, you know, that's the so- sort of thing that, um, you know, I'm interested in. And also I think, you know, with these types of trades, if you time your entry correctly, um, you know, oftentimes you'll be in profit, you know, right from the get-go and, and they kind of move quite quickly. And so, you know, you can potentially run quite a bigger size position um, and have a really tight stop loss um, so that your risk is small but your upside's quite big if you time your entry right and the stock goes in your favour. Um, so I think, you know, that's something that, that works quite well and obviously when there's a catalyst, you know, around company company news and that sort of thing, you get bigger volume and, and, and more liquidity as well. Um, so, yeah, trading company news is the main focus but, I mean, there's, there's heaps of different types of catalysts that you can look for. I mean, I mentioned um, to you that I also trade around broker upgrades and downgrades. That tends to be a good catalyst. Um, particularly now, I mean, in Australia, it's AGM season right now. Um, so you get quite a number of companies that will bury a trading update um, within the chairman's AGM address. So when the chairman's addressing the the meeting, um, that uh, address has to be released to the market prior to it actually happening in, in real time. Um, and so the stock might not move much in a day, but you might find that the broker um, you know, see something in the trading update that they like and they might upgrade the stock overnight. So let's say they upgrade, you know, from neutral to overweight and uh, and that tends to generate a lot of institutional flow um, the following day. I mean, it depends on the broker. You know, if it's a retail broker like Bell Potter or um, CBA, you know, they don't have institutional clients that are following the flow. But, you know, these bulge bracket banks with Citibank, Credit Suisse, JP Morgan, Goldman Sachs, um, they tend to have a lot of institutions that act on their research and so they're the ones that, that can often generate um, good flow and, uh, yeah, so the broker calls can be can be great catalysts. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting actually and I'm keen to ask a few more questions around that um, as well. But just right now before we move on, I want to zoom in on the order book because um, I know this plays a really important role in your trading um, and you know, like you mentioned earlier, the order book is just the same as the tape or level two for, you know, those listening, you know, outside of Australia. Yep. Um, why is the order book such an important part of your trading? Um, well, I mean, for me, you know, I started off scalping the order book and then sort of moved more towards uh, also tra- trading charts as I I- increased the size and the whole time of my positions. But I mean, my original theory was that, hey, you know, if you're looking at a chart, um, you know, it's kind of like driving looking in the revision mirror. It's past tense, you know. What needs to happen for, you know, a trade to take place to then print on the tape is that two orders must mean, you know. So in terms of um, predicting the short-term move in a stock, the order book is, is, you know, at the very forefront of where the trade's happening. Um, And so, that to me was a really big, um, you know, kind of aha moment and uh, and it's sort of gone forward from there. So, I mean, in terms of my decision-making process, um, it is heavily weighted toward the order book and, you know, also I think, you know, that definitely comes down to market microstructure. So, yeah, there's a really big difference between the Australian market and the US market in terms of microstructure. Um, the order book in Australia is, you know, I'd say it's probably a whole lot more reliable. Um, so, for example, you know, looking at the order book, I mean, I'll use the order book to manage risk. So, if I, you know, go to buy a stock, um, oftentimes I'll, I'll spot my exit in the book below, right? So, if I'm going to buy a stock, I'll see a big line of bidders behind me that, you know, if things don't work, um, you know, generally, if I if I put a trade on, it doesn't go in the in my favour straight away. Then there's a good chance that it's it's probably not a winner, right? And so having those big bidders behind me that I can turn around and hit out on and stop my trade out, you know, I found that was a cer- certain element of um, of risk management in it. So um, the volume or the size of the bids below is going to help me determine 
um, my position size in terms of risk management. So, you know, let's say I want to take a ten thousand dollar position in a stock. If it's quite an illiquid stock and there's only say two thousand units within close close proximity bid bid below, then I'm not going to take ten thousand units because I don't know that I can get out. You know, within close proximity, my whole ten thousand units, uh, if that makes sense. So. I think that's that's a really big difference. I mean, I, I think you'll find if you speak to a lot of US traders, they'll say that, you know, because of market makers and whatever else, you know, all the spoofing and phantom liquidity that goes on in the States, I think you'll probably find that those bids that, you know, I'm relying on to hit out on, that, you know, there's a good chance they're not going to be there um, in the States when you want to exit. Um, and that's because of the like the market microstructure. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, no, it does. So, I mean, this is something we've spoke a little bit about in the past and I don't know, you may have kind of touched on it there. You say that the Australian order book is lit um, and there's a big difference between that and how that compares to the order book or the level two in the States. So, could you just explain what you mean by the Australian order book is lit? Um, and how that differs? Sure. Well, I mean, obviously, there's there's the lit market and you know dark pools, right? So, you know, the US market, obviously, they're, they're lit markets as well, but you know, they're, they're it's a little bit different. So, let's say, for example, in Australia, you you can't really mask the size of your order like you can in the states. And you know, I mean, correct me if I'm I'm wrong. I mean, I don't do a lot of US trading at all, so um, you know, perhaps I'm wrong, but. It's my understanding that in the US you'll see, um, you know, a heap of, of 100 lot bids in the book. Um, and so that could be someone that's trying to buy 100 lots, um, you know, 100 units genuinely, or it could also be someone that's trying to buy 10,000 units and they're actually masking their order, right? So they're only revealing the first 100 units of their order. And so that's what I mean by masking in a true lit book. Um, you know, in Australia, you can't mask the size of your order. So what you're looking at, I mean, what you see is what you get for the most part. You know, I mean, we've got icebergs and, you know, different special order types, undisclosed bids, undisclosed offers. There are a number of different institutional orders that, that you know, kind of allow you to hide your liquidity. But for the most part, you'll find that, you know, if you see a really big sell wall with, with say, 40,000 units offered and you lift the lot, you're going to make the stock run, you know. So you can tell how much it's, it, it, it takes to, to break a stock uh, in terms of, like, you know, the order book. And, and you know, when a stock cracks, um, you know, you know exactly what's, what it's going to take to make the stock crack. Um, so I think that's a really big um, advantage and I think, you know, without that, I think uh, you know I'd probably be more reliant on on the tape and also on charts. But you know, because of the the microstructure, I think you can put a little bit more weight um, to the order book um, when you're trading. And yeah, you know, I mean, outside of the order book, I mean, in terms of microstructure, um, you know, it's quite different. So it's probably a little bit interesting to go over this, right? So. Um, in Australia, there's only two exchanges. Um, the ASX is the major exchange, so they basically used to have a monopoly. Um, they still do. I think it's probably eh, it's probably around ninety percent of the total turnover happens on the ASX, right? And yeah, you know, there's a second exchange called the Chiex. Um, yeah, that only launched probably three or you know maybe four years ago now, and they do the remaining ten percent. Right, so when I'm looking at the order book, I mean, I don't even really look at the chiax because, you know, the chiax is where you get a lot more um, algo activity, a lot more HFT, um, and so I'm only really looking at, at the order book or the level two on one exchange, the ASX, uh, and they do 90% of the the turnover. So it's very very different, and you know, you compare that to the states. I mean, how many exchanges has the states got? They, you know, 16 or. 17 different exchanges and God knows how many dark pools. So there's going to be a lot less HFT, uh, a lot less less market making in Australia because I guess, you know, there's a lot less opportunity for this kind of latency arbitrage that happens between um, exchanges. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a big difference. Sure, sure. No, well, thank you very much for, you know, going into that, Bryce. That's really fascinating. You've seen the headlines. Bonds are making a comeback. 
But if you've ever tried to invest in bonds, you know what a clunky, complicated, broken experience it can be. That's why at Public, they took fixed income and fixed it. Now you can find, evaluate, and buy thousands of bonds with an investing experience designed this century. They started at the beginning, reimagining the bond screener with an intuitive design that helps you zero in on the exact kinds of bonds you're looking for. Then they made it easier to evaluate each investment opportunity with better data in the places you need it most. Finally, they made investing in bonds as straightforward as stocks or any other asset. Add fixed income to your portfolio with corporate, treasury, and municipal bonds. Go to public.com forward slash bonds podcast to get started. This podcast is sponsored by Public. Full disclosures can be found at public.com forward slash bonds. Are you a developing or seasoned day trader who trades the U.S. markets? Is the only thing stopping you from getting to the next level is having enough capital to trade? Trade the Pool is a unique online stock trading prop firm that funds stock traders worldwide. Not having to risk your own capital can help you focus on other things like making better decisions on your trades. There's no PDT rules to worry about. You got more than 12,000 stocks and ETFs to trade, long or short, and professional tools at your side. How you get funded is you show them your skills through a straightforward evaluation process. Once you pass the evaluation, you get funded and trade with their pool of money and split the profits. Don't let the lack of buying power, capital, or fear of losing your own money prevent you from taking your trading to the next level. Visit tradethepool.com slash chat to learn more. Um, now, one of the, the types of trades that you focus on, you describe as trading a wall. And this might be a little bit difficult to describe without you know visualizations, but could you give us just an overview of what this type of trade looks like and what causes these walls to occur? Yeah, sure. Um, as I say, I mean, without uh, you know having a, an order book in, in front, it makes it a little bit difficult. But you know what you'll find in the order book is um, you know there might be orders that gather around a particular price point. So if you have a large line of stock um, offered at a particular level. And that stock might be, you know, uh, that line um, of, of sellers might be, say, 10% or sorry, 10 times the amount of stock that's offered on any um, line or price difference right next door. And so when a big line like this um, wipes in the market, that's a sign to the market of conviction. You know, so I often trade around walls and oftentimes you'll find walls um, you know, at particular points of, of, you know, resistance and support. And so say, for example, if a stock has, you know, a, a, a resistance of $6, you know, oftentimes you'll find a whole wall of sellers at $6. And so what, you know, oftentimes you can, you can play a breakout and predict that wall breaking. If you see a lot of activity coming up to the wall and you see bids start to build behind the wall and then someone starts to chip away at that wall, um, then you you know you would buy that wall, and you know the huge volume that's just been done in lifting um, that offer um, creates momentum in the stock, and and then you know and then things run hopefully in your favour. Um, so trading around walls in the order book, I mean it, it's kind of something that it's hard to explain, but you know if you're watching the order book enough, um, eventually you kind of pick it up. Yeah, and I think you created a video uh, which is available on YouTube which kind of um, explains that a little bit more with obviously visualizations. So what I'll do is I'll link to that in the show notes in case anyone wants to check that out and, and find out a little bit more about it. All right, so besides the order book, I know there are other factors you also can consider. Um, some you mentioned such as news, commodity prices, broker gradings, etc., uh, which I'd all like to ask you about in just a minute. But Technical analysis, does this play a role in your trading? And if yes, how so? Okay, well, originally it didn't. You know, I was predominantly a really short term order book scalper. Um, but I guess I ran into um, some problems in terms of scaling up my, um, you know, my positions as my account grew. And I found that inevitably, you know, I couldn't just scalp any particular order book setup. And, you know, particularly because I'm relying on the order book for liquidity, 
um, you know, I'd get to a point where, you know, I'm going to have to take a bigger position than, you know, the, the, the bids behind are going to afford me in terms of risk management. And so that's when trend trading, um, you know, uh, I sort of, I changed my style, I guess, to, um, to trading with, with momentum. And, you know, that's where you're able because the wind's at your back. I mean, let's say, for example, you're trading a, a strong stock, I buy a strong stock at highs when the market's trending higher. Um, yeah, you find that the wind's at your back and even if things do reverse, um, there's a lot more liquidity than the order book will actually reveal. And so, yeah, it's really just been a, a case of scaling up my trading and, and, you know, trying to hold positions a little bit longer rather than being a scalper. Okay, sure. So, let's speak about um, the additional factors that we've kind of hit on already, but let's go into a little more depth. So, um, you know, things such as news, uh, com- underlying commodity prices, uh, broker up and downgrades. What do you like to see happening in these areas? Maybe if you could give us an example of a recent scenario where this has happened. Yeah, sure. I mean, when, um, you know, when, this is all in relation to, you know, building a stocks in playlist. So, you know, in terms of catalysts, I mean, I've explained company news, um, you know, broker upgrades and downgrades that there's any type of catalyst that I'll, I'll um, you know, look for in the morning. I'm going to get up, you know, read two different papers, you know, I've sort of got a set routine that I go to look for to build uh, my list of stocks in play in the morning. Um, obviously, um, you know, in Australia, we're heavily weighted toward resource stocks uh, and oftentimes you can get some really nice lead-ins uh, from overnight moves in, in commodities. Um, so, you know, moves in commodities can, can make for some pretty good catalysts. Let's say, for example, um, you know, I don't know, nickel might be down, you know, 6% on the LME overnight and so, you know, I'll come in and look to short nickel stocks, um, you know, moves in copper or gold or the oil price, um, you know, anything that, that is going to provide a catalyst. And there's also, you know, there's a bunch of US listed ETFs that are also monitor for the same same reason. So, you know, oftentimes you'll find, you know, just because gold's up, it doesn't necessarily mean that the gold stocks have been up. Um, you know, so for that reason, you know, in gold in particular, I might take a look at the Huey index um, or the GDX, the GDXJ, there's a bunch of different indexes. Um, you know, if crude is down a lot, then, you know, I want to have a look at, you know, which, um, you know, US energy ETFs have, have, have moved. So I think the tickets for the energy ETFs are um, XOP uh, and the other one's XLE. I think it's XOP is the one that, that I look look at the most. Um, you know, so there's plenty of places that you can look for a really good catalyst, but you know, at the end of the day, that's only really the first step in the process. Um, so, you know, just because a, a stock is, you know, has a catalyst and it's on my morning list, it doesn't necessarily mean, you know, that it's a trade. It's still got to qualify as, as, as a trade. So, you know, I'm still looking for a good setup in the order book. Um, you know, I'm trying to time my entry into the trade. And, you know, that's all based on price action, watching the tape and, and obviously the order book. Okay, sure. Well, I'd like to ask you that, but um, just quickly, on average, how many stocks might be on your stocks and playlist each day, just on mm-hmm. average? Uh, probably 20. Okay. So, how do you go about tracking this list of, you know, let's say 20 stocks throughout the day? Because I'm sure it's very tricky to track the order book of this many stocks. I mean, how do you approach that? Do you utilize any type of technology? Do you have your monitors set up in a certain way um yeah it would be great to hear more about this sure um yeah you're right but uh in terms of um so i basically you know start with stocks in play i mean the open is a little bit different here in australia i'm not 100 percent sure how it works in australia but in in the u.s sorry but um you know we have an auction at the beginning of the day uh, and then our market opens in five phases Uh, and so it goes group one which is you know all the tickers starting with a and b group two um, the tickers from C, D, E, and F, uh, group three, you know, so there's this five stage or five phase open and there's two and a half minutes in between each phase. So, you know, I'll firstly look at all the A's and B's and then I'll, you know, trade phase one and then I'll trade phase two and trade phase three. Um, you know, sometimes if, you know, it, let's say in phase one, you know, I make two trades or one trade. Um, it's really good if that's a winning trade because then, 
you know, I don't really have to worry about, you know, um, trying to put out a fire. Uh, I can move straight to phase two. You know, oftentimes if I have a couple of losing trades in the beginning of the five phase open, it means that, you know, I'm kind of tied up trying to stop out trades and I can't trade what's happening in the later phases. So, yeah, it's kind of a bit of a juggling act um, for the first 10 minutes. Um, but it's generally the, you know, the first sort of 10 or 15 minutes that I'm trading those stocks in play. Um, you know, I then move to a different kind of process um, to trade uh, momentum trades um, from, you know, sort of quarter past 10 or 15 minutes after the open. So, you know, in particular, if the market's really bulled up, um, let's say we get a, a really strong lead in uh, from Wall Street, the Dow's up, you know, one and a half percent. The SPY futures here are indicating, you know, we might be up one and a half percent. And so in the morning after I've traded um, that stocks in playlist, um, I'll then go and look to get, you know, market exposure. And so this is what I referred to before, um, you know, I'm going to be trading um, or buying strong stocks, trading at their highs. Um, you know, for the most part lately, that's been, you know, that's been tech stocks. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll, you know, go and do a bunch of scans for, you know, stocks trading within 2% or 3% of the 52-week highs. Um, that might produce a list of, you know, 100 stocks. And then I'll use a scanner intraday to um, filter those stocks and only show me the stocks that are trading at their highs. And then I'm just going to go and buy the new high. Um, so that's something that, that works pretty well uh, in terms of momentum when you've got the market at your back. Uh, and that doesn't necessarily have to be news. So that's just, um, you know, trading with the market. And so if the market's going up, I'm looking to buy stocks. If the market rolls over, I'm, you know, I'm cutting my, my uh, long positions and I might start to look for shorts. Uh, and the shorts is just the same in reverse. I'm looking to short weak stocks trading at their lows. Um, yeah, it's more of a, a momentum game. Okay. And you mentioned in there that you were using um, some scanning software uh, during the middle of the day to find stocks trading at their highs. Um, do you mind sharing what that is? Yeah, it's a platform called Spark. Um, it's not available in the US. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's 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 a huge advantage. Um, you know, I've got Spark running on four different screens. Um, you know, in terms of using technology, I mean, at the end of the day, as a retail trader, you know, you don't really have an information edge over institutions. Your biggest edge is, you know, your regular, your pretty small size and your speed of execution and your ability to get in and out of the market quite quickly. And I think, you know, if you can use technology um, to keep more eyes on the market, then, you know, you could potentially trade more of your best setups. And so Spark, you know, there's a whole, you know, different, um, you know, there's a whole bunch of really cool smart lists and watch lists and ways that you can filter the market to basically push to you, um, you know, your best setups. And so that's kind of what, you know, I've used Spark for. It's, um, you know, you've only got two eyes and four screens. You know, there's a limited amount of things that you can see, um, you know, in terms of what's going on in the market every day. So if you can use technology to bring more trades or more of your best setups um, to your fingertips, then, you know, hopefully you'll be more profitable. Absolutely. Now, as a day trader, it's quite, can, well, can be quite easy to get chopped up with just your commissions alone, you know, jumping in and out of the market a lot. So how do you make a conscious attempt to be mindful of commissions as a day trader? I mean, does that mean that you're only trading your A plus, your your best setups, or yeah, tell us how do you how do you work around that? Yeah, sure. I mean, that's a really good question. It's something that I struggled with um, quite a lot in the beginning. Um, yeah, the first thing or the first answer is obviously just to trade stocks in play. I mean, when you get much bigger moves in stocks um, in comparison to your commission charge then naturally, um, you know, your commissions are going to eat uh, into your profits a little bit less. Um, so for that reason, um, you know, I focus in the stocks in play. Uh, I generally steer clear of the large cap stocks, um, you know, things like banks, uh, Telstra, um, your Woolies and your West Farmers. I don't tend to trade those large stocks because they don't really move much during the day. Um, so you just end up, you know, chewing up commission and I kind of don't really have an edge there anyway. Um, 
so yeah, I mean, unless unless of course it's on news, then you know it's certainly uh, in play, and I'll have a look at it. But um, for the most part, yeah, trading mid cap stocks and and trading where there's a catalyst. Uh, but I think something that took me oh, maybe a year um, to to really work out is that you know you don't need to be trading in the middle of the day. Um, you know, I tend to be way more active in the first hour, and then you know, also in the last hour of trade, that's when things happen. You know, if you're trading in the middle of the day, I mean, oftentimes, particularly if the market isn't trending, you just tend to get chopped up, um, you know, and you just end up churning commission. So, you know, in the middle of the day, there's got to be a really good reason for, for taking a trade. Um, you know, most of the money for me is made in the opening hour. Um, so, yeah, just be more selective in the middle of the day, I guess. Um, so, that's that's the major, um, you know, major uh, thing that I've sort of come across in the last last year. But I think you know the easiest way to save on commissions is obviously pay less to your your broker. And I think um, you know commissions here in Australia uh, are really high. I mean, we don't have the turnover, um, we don't have the economy of of scale, um, or the same sort of you know competition that, that you get in the US. So it is actually quite expensive to trade. Uh, in Australia, um, the ASX, as I said before, has a virtual monopoly. Um, the exchange fees, the settlement fees, um, these are basically input costs to your commission rate as a trader. And so, you know, by global standards, our commissions are, are really, really high. Um, we in Australia, we get charged on a percentage of, of trade value. Um, so in the US, you know, people are probably familiar with a, a cents per share structure. Um, where it's very, very cheap to trade, you know, stocks that are trading at a dollar and it doesn't work like that in Australia. So, you know, if you're going to trade, um, you know, $100,000 worth of a small specky, um, it's going to cost you the same as $100,000 worth of, you know, a large cap stock. Um, so it's a little bit different and your commission, you know, is quoted in basis points. Um, so, you know, it's if if you're if you've got a really small um, account and you're doing small turnover, you, you know, you probably shouldn't be paying any more um, than say eight basis points. Um, so that's eight dollars for every ten thousand dollars that you're trading. Um, and it's also pretty important to uh, ensure that your broker doesn't charge you a a, a minimum ticket charge. Um, so you know, oftentimes you'll see brokers quote. Um, you know, eight basis points with a $10 minimum ticket charge, um, which is no good if, if you've got a really small account and you're only trading $5,000 lots and you hit with a minimum ticket charge instead of the, the basis point rate, then that's going to eat into your profits. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you, you want no minimums. Um, and, you know, once you start doing a lot more volume, um, you can sort of negotiate a, a, a pretty good rate. I mean, I'm currently on a rate of... Uh, two and a half basis points, so that's two dollars fifty for every ten thousand uh, dollars that I'm turning over, which is really, really competitive. I, I think um, you know traders in Australia would be surprised that you can actually get a rate that low, um, two and a half basis points. So, you know, I won't uh, I won't shamelessly plug my broker, but I mean, if anyone wants uh, you know to ask questions about brokers, um, I'd be happy to uh, happy to help. I mean, I can answer questions on your site or. Um, they can contact me via email. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think getting the right broker is, is pretty important. Sure. Okay. And just one thing before we, um, before we wrap this up, uh, you mentioned in your answer there that, you know, during the middle of the day, you're not overly active. Are you still at your computer, you know, watching the market intensively throughout the day? Um, or do you find that you, you know, leave your computer and, and go and do go and do something else no way i'm always at my screens i mean I'll, I'll go down to get lunch for all of about five minutes and then um and then i'm back up uh, eating lunch at my desk so yeah it's um yeah i mean it's if if you have a really bad day and you make some mistakes and break some rules and and you've put a dent in your account yeah sure i mean cool off go take a walk but for the most part you know if if you're keen, you got to be uh, you got to be at the screens. If if you uh, if otherwise you're just going to miss opportunity. Um, but you know each each to their own. I guess if the market's not doing that much, then um, then sure you know take a take a bit of a long lunch. 
Absolutely. Okay. All right, Bryce. Well, this has been awesome. I mean, I'm really glad that you said yes to an interview because, um, I mean, you've shared a lot of insight. I've found it really interesting myself and I've no doubt that people listening will also. So, yeah, thank you very much for doing this. Mate, thanks for having me on. And uh, I have to say thank you for uh, for keeping us punters um, up to date with a, with an awesome resource. I mean, I'm still... <laughs> making my way through the past episodes and, uh, you know, it really is a goldmine of, of content that you're creating here for us. So, um, yeah, keep it up and uh, and I look forward to, to chatting again with you soon. Awesome, no doubt. Um, and just one last thing, where can listeners get in touch with you? I mean, you mentioned your email before. Um, what is your well, I mean, do you want people to email you? Or, yeah, 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 that's yeah. fine. I mean, I don't have a blog or anything like that, so email's uh, probably the only contact. So it's uh, my name, Bryce Edwards. Uh, the number's 80 at gmail.com. Okay, sure. And you're not on Twitter? Uh, I am, but no, I don't really tweet. You know, not very active? No. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Okay. And alternatively, guys, um, maybe also, yeah, as an alternative, just leave a comment on the website. Um, in case, you know, some people have similar questions, um, you know, Bryce can answer everything in one place. And I think that could be a cool resource just to uh, get a little bit more info as well for everyone. So, yeah, if you have a question for Bryce, either email or in the comments on the website at chatwithtraders.com. All right, Bryce, take care and let's talk again very soon. Thanks, mate. we Will do. Hey, thanks so much for listening, team. I hope you really enjoyed this interview with Bryce. Um, I'm sure we'll be hearing from him again at some point, so that's something to look forward to. If there are any questions you'd like to ask him, anything around day trading, the order book, catalyst for intraday moves, momentum, pretty much anything trading related, go to chatwithtraders.com forward slash 51 and drop a line in the comments area. Bryce is keen to answer your questions and help out, so please take advantage of this. And I also realized it's been a while since I mentioned the premium ebook that we have available here at Chat with Traders titled Why Most Traders Never Succeed. So if you haven't had a chance to read this yet or you haven't even heard of it, I strongly encourage you to check it out. Inside, you'll find the responses from 18 traders who have previously featured on the podcast explaining the key reasons why most traders lose money and eventually crash and burn. To find out more about this ebook, which I've received really great feedback on from those who have read it, go to chatwithtraders.com forward slash read, R-E-A-D, and you can purchase a copy for just 15 bucks, and you'll pretty much get an email right away with an instant link to download. So again, that's chatwithtraders.com forward slash read, R-E-A-D, um, and you can purchase it right there on the site. All right, guys, I think we've covered plenty of ground again this week. Until next time, take care and we'll speak soon. You've come to the end of this episode of Chat with Traders, but don't worry, more great episodes are on the way. To stay updated with each great new episode, be sure to subscribe to the podcast in iTunes and we'd love it if you leave us a rating and review. We'll see you next time on Chat with Traders. 